for that, listen to that, and God is faithful. He'll bring you that word. Wednesday nights are our Bible studies. Let's go to the word of the Lord. We're preparing for Easter, and I want to share a story with you about the Lord and what salvation can do for us. You're very familiar with the story, I'm sure. It's found in John chapter 8. Please turn to John chapter 8. I'm just going to paraphrase the story so that you're aware of it. There was a woman who was caught in adultery. Now, I don't know if you know much about sex, but adultery takes two people. But she was the only one who was brought out to be stoned. Isn't that interesting? Uh, So they went out of the house and uh, it says early in the morning he came to the temple and all the people came to him and sat down and he taught. And the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst they said, teacher, this woman, or rabbi, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now when the law of Moses commands us to stone this woman, what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Wow. Now, I would love to know what he wrote in the sand. How about you? Right? John didn't put that down. I wish somebody would have wrote that. Some speculate that he was possibly writing sins and identifying sins. He could have gone right through the Ten Commandments, couldn't he have? Steal, lie, blaspheme. He, he was writing something and it convicted them. And one by one, and I find this interesting, the older ones left first. You live long enough, you recognize that you've got enough sin in your life that you laid the stone down. The young righteous ones, they're all righteous indignation. All right. But I'm captivated by this one thing. And this is a very important message for this day and this hour for the church because something has happened in the church concerning sin. And so Jesus says this thing out of his mercy. He says, I do not condemn you. Right? Jesus said in John 3.17, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the Son, I'm sorry, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. I didn't come to condemn. Can I tell you why? The world is already condemned. The world was judged back in the garden. We were condemned already under the curse of death and hell. So He didn't come to condemn. That's already done. So Jesus says, I don't condemn you. That's the mercy of God. How many of you know that? Mercy is pardoning us from what we deserve. That's the definition of mercy. Now, grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is a powerful thing. So he says out of his mercy, I don't condemn you. But then he makes this statement. Go and what? 
sin no more. There you go. Done. Go sin no more. That's easy, isn't it? Piece of cake. Thanks. Now, what do you think is on her mind? How do I do that? Don't commit adultery anymore? Did he qualify it? He didn't qualify it, did he? He didn't say, don't commit adultery anymore, young lady. No, he said, go and sin no more. This is, in fact, grace. We think grace is, go ahead and sin and I'll forget all about it. I'll forgive you of all of it. Just cry a little bit and say you're sorry and it's all good. That's what we've brought in with grace. That's not grace. Grace is the power to overcome sin. That's the grace of God. Where we were powerless to sin, the grace of God has now empowered us to overcome sin. Why? Because He died for us on the cross removing our transgressions so His Spirit of holiness could dwell in us, which now gives us the power to overcome what? Sin. See, there's a story in this lady's life between the time she met Jesus and the time now that she has to live out what He declared. So what's the declaration for every believer who has been forgiven by the the mercy of Jesus Christ? What? are we supposed to do? Yeah. Say it again. How's that working for you? It's a lifelong journey, isn't it? But He calls us to become overcomers. What are we supposed to overcome? Sin. Sin. We love to say, well, I overcame my difficulty uh, on my job. I overcame these issues of dealing with people. I overcame the devil. I overcame my sickness. What are we supposed to be overcomers of, ultimately? Sin. Sin. All right? So he says, go and sin no more. This is the hallmark of a believer. We are to sin no more. Well, pastor, are you saying we have sinless perfection, that we can attain that? And there's all sorts of different theologies on this issue of uh, perfectionism and so forth. All I know is I'm going to keep it real simple. Jesus told the lady to go and sin no more. Now she has to figure out, how do I do that? How, how do you do that? Who did she meet that maybe changed her life? Jesus. She met Christ. And that's what changes us. When we meet Christ, we can now be empowered to sin no more. Let's look at the mercy of God. Romans 8.1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. The world is condemned already. John 3.17. We quote 16, don't we? God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe in Him right, shall not perish but have everlasting life. 17 says that if you don't believe in Him, you're condemned because the world is condemned already. And so to those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. We are not condemned by the law. Why? Because in Christ, He fulfilled the law. And when you joined yourself to Christ on that cross, you were put to death. 
I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I've been identified with Him, died with Him in my sin, rising again in adoption as a child of God, sanctified, made holy immediately. So there's no condemnation for me. So Paul then says, so does that give us freedom to sin? No, not at all. This is the story of salvation. I don't condemn you because of Christ. We're no longer condemned. We trust Him. The Father says, therefore, go and sin no more. So this idea that when we talk about the forgiveness of God, the grace and mercy of God that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that I am saved, born again, and I know that I'm secure in Christ, Oh, well, if you don't tell people that if they sin, they can go back down to hell. The security of the believer, what we're talking about is that security of his blood. Well, that gives anyone an excuse to go out and sin and be forgiven. No, it doesn't. It says this, go and sin no more. That's the spirit I have in me, to go and sin no more. And so there's no condemnation but what goes on now is this, Romans 6.11, it's on your outline. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That's salvation. Jesus said, I don't condemn you, woman. But she would have been stoned to death, wouldn't she? Well, Jesus took our death for us. And so if we're in Christ, we need to consider ourselves dead to what? Sin. Now, um, the King James says this, reckon yourselves dead to sin. This verse is pivotal uh, for me a number of years ago in understanding salvation. And, and I was reading the King James and it says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. And I... I I didn't know the meaning of that word. I just remembered the Beverly Hillbillies. I thought, I'm, shoot, I'm supposed to reckon myself dead to sin. That's all I knew, reckon. I guess I reckon so. And I had to ask myself, Lord, is this a game? I'm supposed to reckon? I'm supposed to pretend? You know what I mean? Reckon myself, uh, pretend that you're dead to sin. In other words, have a mind game. That sin's going to attempt and this and that, but I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to believe, okay, I'm dead to it, this and that. That's not what the word means. It's the exact same word, impute. Romans 4 talks about the righteousness of Abraham being the imputed unto him. The word impute, the, the righteousness of Christ is imputed unto us. The word impute means credited. So it's been credited to us. God's righteousness is credited. It's put into our account. When He looks at us, He sees us as righteous because Christ is in us. The hope of glory. So, so I'm credited with the, with, the, with the imputation of Christ. Now, Marlo gave us a testimony tonight of using somebody else's credit card. His credit was not credited to her account. She just used the card to get his money out. Okay, right? All right, but that wasn't credited to her. And many Christians live like this, live like they have Jesus' credit card, but, it, but they're still nothing. But that's not the imputation of righteousness. You see, what God does is takes all of Jesus' credit, righteousness, standing with the Father, 
and he imputes it or puts it into your account. Now you have your own imputation credit with God. Not because of your good behavior, not because of your ability, but because of your faith in what Christ did on the cross. And so when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous and holy. All of us, many times we get the teaching where when when God looks at us, he's got to look at Jesus. Jesus covers us. Stand behind me. Get behind me. So that, Father, Jesus, who are we looking? You're looking at me, Lord. You're looking at me. No. He has fully imputed by your faith in what Christ did. He imputes righteousness fully credited unto you. That, therefore, then is imputed unto me as a power to be dead to sin. Before you were saved, you didn't have the power to choose. Oh, you could make choices. Should I do this sin or that sin? Usually it's under a sinful desire. But once you get saved, you have the power to choose not to sin. That's a power that the Holy Spirit gives us. And we are learning how to do what Jesus told that lady. Go and what? Sin no more. That's what's pulsing through my spirit. That's what's motivating me to not sin against my Father because the love of God is in me so deeply. And I get tripped up. And the issue is, it's because of my flesh. I have a new nature put in me, but the problem is I'm still in the old container. The members of my body war against, right? My desire to please God in my inner man. So there's a war going on in my mind to decide what to choose, the flesh or the Spirit. But what you need to recognize is God sees you as righteous. You have been changed since you met Him. And now go sin no more. That's what He says. You are dead. Not just reckoning, and that's what I'm getting back to. Not just reckoning or pretending I'm dead to sin, but in fact knowing I'm dead to sin and having the power to overcome sin. And what that takes is revelation knowledge. God wants to reveal to you why you're stuck in patterns of sin. How many of us are stuck in patterns of sin? Come on. There are particular patterns that we get stuck in because of whatever developed in us as we were growing up self-medicating or insecurities or fears or whatever we've developed patterns that that help us get through we lie or we're insecure so we do this or do that you know there's patterns of sin that we we repeat then there's physical patterns of sin you know you got stuck into an addiction that feels good and and it, and it gives you uh, relieves pressure and it's uh, it calms you and gives you peace all of that is an imitation of what christ wants to do for you And so we have to come to a realization that I have power over that. And it's not just a matter of re-instructing your flesh, it's a matter of putting it to death. And so God has given us power over sin for this amazing statement to go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. See, this lady had to follow Jesus 
She had to come to a place where she needed to learn. Because without being born again, you can't not sin. You cannot not sin without Christ. Right? So she had to come to the place where she recognized who he was. Now, I want to drive this home, and I say it's a message today because what we've done with sin is we pardon most sin. We excuse most sin. We justify most sin. And we just say, look at if you sin, just say you're sorry, repent, and get on with life. It's true he forgives us, but Jesus has something better in the fight against sin. Jesus' idea of repentance is before sin. We've put it after the sin. We've put repentance after sin. Oh, I feel bad about the sin. God help me, and we repent. I'm sorry. Jesus' idea is repentance is a change of mind. We've called repentance simply sorrow, sadness. Godly sorrow leads to what? Repentance. You know, you can have godly sorrow and cut short the leading to repentance. Godly sorrow, being sad about something, you've got to come to the fullness of it to where there's repentance. And what is repentance? Turning your mind away from it, changing your mind. Did this lady, after meeting Jesus, have a change of mind concerning sin? Yes, she was forgiven. She saw all these men of the law drop their stones. This Jesus is something else changed her mind on how she should then live one experience with christ repentance should come before the sin that's the power to defeat it we pray like this our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread right and what lead us not into yeah That's where repentance starts, before the temptation. So when you're tempted, you already know, I have power over that. I'm not going to go towards it. Repentance is a changed mind before the sin. We're dead to sin. Let's stop going after the same bait that the enemy uses. Because you don't have to. You need to change your mind on the issue of sin. Go and sin no more. How many of you, in all honesty, come on, we're all on the same boat here, so let's not try to pretend, right? We dress pretty and comb our hair, so you think we're all beautiful, but we're really a mess inside, and Jesus is working on us. So, but let me get real honest with you. So, How many of you here have a sin that you would love to break its power off you? Okay, okay. So we've got to change our mind on it, and we have to realize that His command to us is sin no more. Sin no more. And what we've done in the church is we, we tolerate, we tolerate and just minimize sin when what we have is a solution here. I'm not saying we need to judge each other. We're all in the same boat here, so we don't, I don't need to condemn you for your sin when I've got my own. Jesus clearly taught on that. But what we need to do is stop being such a loose and sloppy church to where we're tolerating such sin among us not in the sense of judging one another and having Pharisees in the church, but in the sense that there's so much more for us to overcome and we're not doing it. That's what I want to offer. I hope you're getting my heart in this. 
that in fact Jesus said, don't sin anymore. Stop it. They, they understood that with Christ in us, there's a power to stop the sin before it happens. And so Paul says, you know, run the race and cast off the sin that so easily entangles us. Have you ever thought of that? Easily entangles. Do you know what sins easily entangle us? The ones we always fall to. So the things that tangle my feet up may not tangle yours up, but I don't know what your besetting sin is, what one that tangles you up so quickly. Paul says the same thing, real simple. He says this, hey, just get rid of it. Cast it off. Thank you. Again, real clear-cut help for me. Go and sin no more. Cast off the sin. Why are we so powerless? Because we're, we're, we're feeding our flesh so much. We're so, we're so titillated in our flesh. We're constantly feeding self, self, self. We've got to recognize that we are dead to sin. Why are we so excited by sin? We're not dead to it. We need to be dead to it. And God gives us the power to be dead to it. Look at what he says to Jude, Jude 24, on your outline. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of the glory uh, of his glory with great joy. That's a cool verse, Jude 24. Who's able to keep us from falling? Jesus. There it is again. It says, go and sin no more. Cast off the sin that so easily besets you. And unto him who's able to keep us from falling to present us what? Blameless. Faultless. Right? So this has to tell me that there's a power in me in you, in every believer that has been imputed unto us to be dead to sin and to walk right on by it and to not have it draw us in anymore. And you know what it is? It's the love of God. It's to be so in love with Him that you don't want to offend Him. I love my wife so much that I'm not going to cheat on her because I love her. Some woman can come and try and uh, uh, allure me to her bed or whatever. It's like, uh, no way. Ugh, uh, no, man, I love my wife. I don't want anything to do with that. And it's the same thing with our relationship with Christ. It's like, oh, don't go there again. And so we've got to develop a love for him greater than the things that easily beset us. Does that make sense? Whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted and blind, having forgotten that they've been cleansed from their sins. Turn with me to 2 Peter 1, and let's study this out. 2 Peter 1. Just to help you, 2 Peter is after 1 Peter. Does that help? We've got to rediscover the power of Christ to overcome sin. The church has got to get back into a place of walking in righteousness and holiness. For 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
His divine power, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you don't mind, I'm going to stop and talk about a little bit of this. Uh, His divine dunamis, His divine power has granted to us how many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, I could get the godliness part. What's godliness? Righteous living, right? Spiritual stuff. Put it that way, spiritual stuff. Godliness is spiritual stuff. So God gives us by His divine power the ability to live a spiritual life. But not just that. All things pertaining to godliness and what else? Life. Life. Someone explain to me life. What's life? We're living it. Get up in the morning, drive to work, work next to those people that irritate you to death, drive in traffic, deal with your kids, animals, dogs, pets, the weather, where you live, who you're voting for. This is life. Aren't you glad that he says that God's power equips you for not only godliness, I would get it if it just said godliness, but he says godliness and life. Life. God is here for you for life. For the mundane things of life. So godliness and life can blend together so that you can have godliness in your life. God cares about the person you work next to. He cares about you driving down the street. He cares about everything. And in everything He says, and sin not. We don't just think about it when we come to church. It's infused in every aspect of life and godliness, and there's a power there that can keep us from falling. You with me? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. The thing that keeps us, it's the divine power through the knowledge of Him. This lady met Jesus. And He commanded her to sin no more. That's the message of Christ. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through these promises you may become partakers of His divine nature. So how do you have life and godliness? He said, I'm going to give you a bunch of promises. Here they are, folks. They're all written down. Here's a bunch of great and precious promises. He's given to all of us. If, If you don't know the promises, you're missing out. Read this thing. There are very many great and precious promises. Through these promises, in other words, through through calling on God on these promises, you said this, you promised this. When you call on these promises, you get to partake of His what? Divine nature. His nature. We don't know what His nature is. We don't know what His nature is. Come on, this is the power. We get scared at tornadoes. We get scared at earthquakes. Do you think that compares to His nature? The most beautiful thing you could think of? The most wondrous and awesome act? A child being born? Love? Anything? None of it comes close to His nature. His nature is pure goodness. Pure love. 
pure holy, pure glory, pure power, pure everything. <laughs> it's sunshine. It's beautiful. It's Him. We have the ability to partake in that. We're living too far under what is ours. Does that make sense to you? We've been given him. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a thousand bucks. I'm going to give you, you're going to win the lottery. I'm going to give you a big house. I'm going to give you a car. He says, I'm giving you me. I'm giving you me. That's what I'm giving you. And you can partake of me. How do I know? I promised you. And I signed it with the blood of my son. Now, go and sin. No more. Do you see how sin is so far below his nature? If I'm so stuck in sin and playing with my sin, I'm not partaking of his nature. Because that satisfies. So now instead of getting a smoke because I'm so nervous and it calms my nerves, I can partake of his Holy Spirit, which is leading me into all comfort and peace and joy. Fill in the blank with whatever particular habit or sin it is. It's all self-medicating when he can provide the answer. It's him. It's him. Now let's go on. He says, so that through them you may be partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, fleshly desires. So you see what he's saying? You can partake in his nature instead of the sinful nature. Why bother with this stuff? Go and sin no more. Do you see what happens to that statement, go and sin no more? It's like saying, go and stop eating dirt. It's like, you're right, why would I go eat dirt? That's what he means by go and sin no more. It's like, why, were you, why would you waste your time with that? I'm here. Go kiss a pig. No, I don't want to. But we do, don't we? When he says, come, hold me, hug me, come here. Let me embrace you. We said, no, I'd rather kiss the pig. Ugh. He says, no, partake of my nature and you will sin no more. You won't want that stuff. Now let's go on. And he says this, for this very reason, make every effort. What kind of an effort? Every effort to supplement or add to. Let's take a look at what he wants us to add. Add to your faith. So, an additive. So what has to happen is, and he's going to give us a list of what we have to add to our faith. And this is what, when he told the woman, go and sin no more, there is an ever-increasing glory that's supposed to be taking place. We've met Christ at the place where we should have been condemned, like the lady did. And Christ has by his mercy forgiven us. And now by his grace, he said, go sin no more. I'm putting you on a path of power over sin. But this is how you have to achieve it. Here are my promises. He says, add to your faith virtue. Moral excellence. Add to your faith virtue. So we need to clean up our act. We need to 
Begin choosing what is right before God instead of what's wrong. And His Spirit will direct us in that. And we're in that pursuit every day, making a right choice, a yes or a no. Isn't it fascinating that our power over sin is really two simple words? Yes or no. Yes or no. It's an act of the will. It's that simple. It's a rudder that we move that simple. Though it gets complex with human relationship, doesn't it? He says, add to your faith. So you're saved. How many people are saved here? Anybody? 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 Okay, you're saved people. Now, so with this salvation, in order to overcome sin, you need to add to your faith moral character, virtue, doing the right thing. We've got to work at that. Work at that. That's work because sometimes some of us, we grew up not knowing that lying is wrong. It was a very effective tool in our lives. Lying is used to protect ourselves. We do it all the time. That's a hard thing to give up. But if we will begin giving it up, we are going to overcome sin. Now he says, after that, after you're adding to your moral character, he says, now add knowledge. Know Him. Get to know Jesus. How many of you know Jesus really well? It's kind of iffy, isn't it? Because it's like, well, I know him as well as I know him, but I don't think that's enough knowing him. He's pretty vast to know. And there's many different facets to knowing him. I can read about him, but do I spend any time with him? And do I have any experiences with him? And do I love him? There's a lot to knowing him, isn't there? That's a lifelong pursuit that should always be increasing. And add to that self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. So we've got to get our act together. All right, so the lady who said, Jesus said, go sin no more. So would it be wise for her to go back to her pimp? Well, no, she wasn't a prostitute. She just got in adultery. So she was married or the guy she was with was married, right? Should she hang out with that guy again? Now that would be self-control. Give it up. Would you agree with me? Okay, And what else in her life might she be doing that led her to that place? Nobody knows, but I mean, it, she could have been in an abusive situation. It could have, she could have, there are many cultures and many situations. Uh, we had Jody here. I don't know if you were here Sunday, here Jody. Uh, sex trafficking is a huge thing. In Tijuana, in Mexico, many of the women there who have children and cannot support them are, have to go into prostitution because there's no other way to get food for the children. But God can make a way. It's not easy. It's going to take self-control. See, we want it all to be easy, especially us Pentecostals. Pentecostals want easy street all the time. Father, according to your promises and your power, make it happen. Boom! Oh, he's let me down again. We all want that miracle. Make it happen, Jesus. We believe in miracles. Give me all of them. I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And many times, you got to go through it to learn self-control because he says you need that added to your virtue. Does that make sense to you? Add to your faith. This is a lot of stuff to add. Add to your faith virtue or moral excellence, knowledge of him, self-control, steadfastness, faithfulness, perseverance. Come on, get through this thing. Don't quit on righteousness. Fight for it. Add to that godliness. Add to that 
brotherly affection and add to that agape love. Now look at what he says. If you're not adding to your faith these things, if you're not adding them to you, he says this, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ. These things have to be always added and increasing. This is your workout, people. Hit the gym. Starting with aerobics of virtue, knowledge, and self-control. Then we're going to hit the weight machine for steadfastness, godliness, and brotherly affection. And then we're going to run two miles in love. It's a workout, isn't it? I just thought he was going to do all this for us. He wants us involved in this thing. Again, I go back to the, the, the verse that just smacked me in the face. Go and sin no more. Come on! That's not easy, but I've empowered you and I've put my spirit in you to do it. Now, get busy and add this to your faith so that you will become active and fruitful. And he says, guess what? If you're not doing that, you will be inactive and unfruitful. Hmm. It goes on and he says this. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And see, if this lady would not have have pursued sinning no more by avoiding the issues of sin, changing her self-identity and self-worth, changing the pattern of her life, and pursuing after righteousness. If she wouldn't have done that, she could have easily gone back and forgotten her encounter with Christ. And so that's the question to all of us. Have we forgotten what it cost us for our salvation? Have we forgotten that it cost God everything? Have we so easily forgotten? Well, it's 2,000 years and I haven't seen Jesus. I have to believe. Still, have you forgotten what he did for you? He died on the cross for you. He took your sins upon himself. He took the Father's judgment for your sins. Have we forgotten this? We're getting tripped up by the world and we're getting tripped up by the enemy. And we're getting tripped up by our own sin. And the church has forgotten that we're not supposed to sin anymore. We have debates now as to what is sin and what is not sin. Don't we? We have measuring sticks. Well, a little bit of that sin's not bad because I think God would let it go. Jesus paid the price for every sin. Every sin. There's no sin that will go unjudged. It was all judged on Christ. It cost Him everything. So I speak this to us as a word of encouragement. There's no condemnation in the sense of go and sin no more. What I've shared with you are the scriptures that empower us to go sin no more. So we've got to get into this. We've got to take this on. These things adding to our lives will help us sin no more so that we will become active and fruitful. Jesus told this lady, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Because of that, you are now able to go and sin no more. Jesus, as you have all accepted him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus 
does not condemn you. Oh, this is awesome. We've got eternal life. This is awesome. And now what he says is, so therefore, go and sin no more. Don't waste your time with that stuff. It's ruining your life. I have everything you need through my promises to add to your faith the power to overcome sin. Let's pray for that. We need help with that for each other. Jesus, help us.